Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. A new month and the same old results for the New Orleans Pelicans as they lose their 10th straight game. They've now fallen a game below 500 and are only a game up in the Western Conference standings above the Los Angeles Lakers, who everyone has told me from coast to coast, in particular Pelicans fans, that the Lakers are trash. This may be true. But if the Pelicans are right there with them in the standings, what does that say about the Pelicans? It's Friday, and... (laughs) Listen, Raging Cajun women won yesterday. Raging Cajun men won yesterday. LSU women won yesterday. You could have said anything, but you're going to try and bring our spirits down (laughs) to start the day. I'm just going ahead and getting it out of the way. Ripping the Band-Aid off, Dawson, is what I'm trying to do here. Oh, the Pelicans. We do have plenty of really great stuff to get to, right? Lots of activity on the hardwood, as Dawson mentioned. UL, winner, winner, chicken dinner, both men and women. LSU women needed overtime, were tested. They pulled out a win. And we got some great guests lined up for you today. Corey Diaz, who covers the LSU women, will join us for the Daily Advertiser. Russell Heim, the man who portrayed the fabulous Cajun chicken for like 20 years, who will be back in the house Saturday night. For the Cajuns men's game, we'll have him on the show. And Ross Jackson, he's going to share his thoughts with the latest with the Saints. And he's been at the Senior Bowl over in Mobile all week. Some Louisiana guys have been turning some heads, and in particular, a two-lane running back who may have increased his draft stock because multiple reports have him having the best week of anyone at the Senior Bowl. So... Plenty of great stuff to get to, and we are getting closer and closer to picking Dawson's nickname. And some of these choices he begrudgingly has agreed to. So, shout out to him for being flexible. The emphasis is some of them, and (laughs) look, Look, we're going to unveil it later, but just know there are correct and incorrect answers to the poll question today. Just know, as I have done in the past... You will make recommendations, listener. I will share them. We will discuss them. But ultimately, it's up to your boy, RP3. (laughs) So, I already know which one I am going to be going with. And I've already discussed it with Dawson. But I still would love to see what your recommendations are. 
And by the way, these four have been selected based on intel provided by Dawson's family, as well as many of you listeners over the course of the last week or so. We'll get to that. We'll share that for you. See, that'll be positive. That'll be fun. Let's talk about the Pelicans, though. That's how we're going to start off today's RP3 and company. I understand that this team will look different when Zion Williamson returns. I understand that they even be may make a move by the trade deadline. You keep hearing Jory Holberg talk about this, that he feels like they have some dead weight on that roster. Maybe Devontae Graham's role going from playing all the time off the bench to not playing at all is an indicator that they're going to be looking at moving him at their trade deadline, right? Maybe take one of the 1,872 different second-round picks they've accumulated over the last three years and maybe package something where they go get another shooter, they go get another wing player, something, right? It, it, it feels like maybe now they're going to be trending towards doing something. I understand all that. But this team has looked really bad. I know they rallied last night against the Dallas Mavericks. I completely understand that. And I appreciate the grit. I appreciate the fact that they didn't just roll over. This team, at times, plays hard for Willie Green. And they showed it again last night. So please don't misunderstand that I don't think this team plays hard for their coach. Because I do. I love the effort they gave forth as well. Which is always good. okay. And the fact that they didn't want to go out like a bunch of punks. That's important. That shows the DNA, so to speak, of this team. These are all positives. But the problem with the Pelicans is that they do some things really, really, really poorly. Just really, really, really poorly. And it has showed up over and over and over again, especially during the month of January. Once again, since January 1st, they have won a total of three games. That was against the likes of the Houston Rockets, the Detroit Pistons, and the Washington Wizards. Two of those three teams are considered two of the three worst teams in the league, period, regardless of conference. And when I see this team play, and I know Zion's out, when I see this team play, I worry. Let's start with the defense. It's the fourth straight game that this team has given up at least 31 points in the first quarter. 31 points in the first quarter. How are you expected to win ball games when you give up that type of stat line? In the opening quarter, which sets the tone for the entire game. Why isn't this team better defensively to start off with? They get better as the game goes along. Why do they come out so flat defensively to start off with? Is Willie not preparing them? Are they just sleepwalking to start off games? That's a legitimate question because you're starting to see this kind of pile up here, especially when they play teams with elite talent. Look, Luka is top five in the league. 
Giannis the other night on Sunday night is the best player in the league. So those guys are going to get theirs. I get that. But they didn't get 31 points by themselves. So what are they doing defensively early? And that's my question. Like, I don't know. I watch them play and I go, oh, they're, they're not very good on defense early. And then they get better and they make some adjustments. And last night they made a good adjustment late to kind of slow down Dallas, right, to get back into the game. Why isn't that coming out from tip? You know, especially when you're in the Western Conference, the Mavericks are not that much better than the Pelicans. They have Luka. The Pelicans don't have somebody on Luka's level. I'm sorry, Zion's not healthy enough to be considered that yet. Maybe he will be, but right now Luka is MVP candidate, top five guy in the league. They have a guy who has the potential to be that. He isn't that yet. Yet. He's getting closer. Yet. Do the Mavericks have anyone on the level of Brandon Ingram when B.I. is healthy? Not really. So I can make the argument that the Pelicans and the Mavs probably have the same type of talent overall. They're both middle-of-the-pack Western Conference teams. Why are you getting punked for 31 points in the opening quarter? That's a problem. It's just, it, it, that's a problem. And here's the other thing. While they're struggling on defense in particular early in ball games, and they've struggled a little bit with their defense throughout the season, they're 30th in offense over the last 15. 30th in the NBA in offense over the last 15 games. That's a little bit on coaching. There's something that's not clicking with this team since the calendar turned. And I know Zion went out, and that's part of it. I understand that. I appreciate that. And maybe this is Willie just being a young coach and trying to figure out, okay, how do I adjust? Zion's out. I got to try to bring B.I. back, but he's not quite right. And once again, if you watched the game at all last night or if you watched since B.I.'s been back, he doesn't look really all that back to me. It feels like B.I.'s playing through the pain of the toe because he feels like he's got to be out there for his teammates because he's not right. He's not what he was before the injury. He's not what he was last year. They need him to be at least what he was last year to even be in the play-in tournament because you don't know when Zion's coming back. So what, we got 65, 70% of B.I.? That's not going to be good enough. Right? That's not that's just not gonna get the job done. And over yeah, they're 30th in offense over the last 15. And over the last 10 in particular, the Pelicans aren't even close to 29th. The difference between the 30th team and the 29th team is that much where you go, whoa. So not only are they 30th in offense over the last 15, they've gotten worse in the last 10, and the majority of those games has Brandon Ingram on the floor. I'm not one to panic. I understand it's a long season. But I think we're starting to see the flaws of this year's Pelicans team. And if you're going to make a playoff run, Dawson, you're going to be facing other teams that have elite players, right? You're not going to be facing another team in 
in the NBA playoff scenario that doesn't have at least one dog on the team, right? Everyone's got at least got one guy. Some of them have two. How is this Pelicans team the way it is right now going to be able to do that? That's my big question because of how they struggle on defense and how they're struggling on offense. It, it feels like a team that needed the all-star break to come about three weeks, maybe a month earlier than it than it actually will. I would agree um, with that totally. Because right now, I think another thing is it's gotten to the point where it's, it's probably pretty mental as well right now. Um, when you're in a long losing streak like this, when you're – it's different, too, if you're a team that's not great and you go through losing streaks. This team wasn't expecting anything like this to come up, especially when the way they started the season. So at this point, it's, it's probably in that mentality of like, man, when, when are we going to win another game? Like, what do we have to do? You know, they've played well enough to win a couple of games during this stretch. Oh, a, a handful of haven't. these games. A handful of these games, you're right. And, you know, the other thing is it feels like almost every game, now the Dallas one was actually an exception, but almost every game in this stretch feels like it's the same game. Pels get off to a hot start. They play really poorly in the middle of the game. They try to claw their way back, but they don't have enough time at the end. Uh, the Dallas game was actually different because they got off to a pretty bad start. But oh, awful in the first half. It just feels like they, you know, you, a te- it worries you when a team continues to show you the same thing and it's negative, which is what the Pels have done in this stretch. And yeah, they need they need that hard reset. And we talked about four and four in these last, you know, eight games. That seems like that would be a big accomplishment at this point. You got a Lakers team that, yeah, they're playing better. Um, you got I, from a from a they're motivated. Now, I will say this: if you're able to be, and it, 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 it is, excuse me, it is a home game um, on Saturday night. If you're able to win that game, that could be a big kind of boost because it's going to be a competed, you know, competitive, heated game because the Lakers and an Pelicans don't get along very much. So with LeBron and AD, that's right. It should be a game. Uh, the Lakers are motivated. So if you can kind of like, you know, snuff out their momentum, you know, against the team that you really don't care for and the players that you really don't care for, that would be. You're right, a huge boost in the arm, so to speak. All of a sudden, now you're not thinking about the 10, 10 game losing streak or the fact that you were outscored by the Mavericks seventy to forty three in the first half of Thursday night's game, you go, hey, we got to win, right? We got to win. Oh, and Zion's coming back, right? And you can keep thinking positive that way. After the break, we're going to get the big fella. And that'll matter. And that'll matter. Do you believe this is going to force the Pelicans' hand to make some sort of move at the trade deadline? It's looking like it. I mean, you never really know. And another thing that's interesting um, that I've heard kind of brought up by other people is that with the Western Conference being what it is, almost everyone's in it essentially, minus two, three teams. Yeah, that come that sometimes makes it difficult for deals to take place because a lot of teams don't really know if they're buying or selling right now. Uh, a lot of teams are a couple of wins away from being right in the mix, but are also a couple losses away from looking like they're fading away. The Pelicans are now one of those teams where it's like, look, if if things don't get turned around once Zion comes back, or if he has any setbacks, this might be you know become more of a lost season, which is really unfortunate to think about, but. We talk about the Lakers win, giving them momentum, but also if you lose that game, then you really just – you got Ooh. six more after it before the break, and it's like, how do you find a way to get through the rest of this first half if you if you don't win that game? Where are the wins going to come from and how far – even though everyone's jumbled up from the three spot all the way down to the ten spot, and we've talked about that a lot, there's not that much separation. What does that do for your psyche? Like you, you brought up, if you lose to the Lakers, now it's 11 in a row. When are you going to get a win back? And look, I do think they're probably going to do something. Garrett Temple, Willie, Jackson Hayes, Devontae Graham, none of them played last night. If I had to guess, 
if they would move on from somebody, I'm thinking Jackson Hayes and Devontae Graham are probably your top two guys, your top two assets that you're going to move on from. Kyra Lewis Jr. is getting a lot more playing time of late. I think they're realizing, hey, he gives us a better chance. But look, Brandon Ingram gave him 26 points. He led him last night, 10 of 20 shooting, 5 of 6 from the free free throw line, had 9 rebounds, 7 assists. He nearly had a triple-double, but he still doesn't look right, if that makes any sense. He still doesn't look quite right, and maybe this is the best version of Brandon Ingram you're going to see the rest of the way. Oh, by the way, Lucas scored 31 points in 23 minutes. The guy is just absolutely insane. They're 26 and 27 now. Lost 10 games in a row. They dropped below 500 for the first time this season. Unfortunately, the 31 point deficit that they stormed back from was not enough as they made it a four point game. But they still fell. And here's the other thing Luka got injured in this game. That's why he only played the limited amount of minutes. And you still couldn't take advantage of it. Like, it's tough, man. They're in a tough spot. They just are. They're in a tough spot. And you look up at the standings this morning on February 3rd. Remember, this team was not once but twice in first place in the Western Conference. And right now they sit at the 10 spot. Only a half game, essentially, above the Portland Trailblazers for 11 a full game over the Lakers and the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's where they're at right now. And they're ten and a half games out of first place. Whew. Maybe they can turn it around Saturday, Smoothie King Center, against LeBron AD in the Los Angeles Lakers. Coming up, we're going to stay in the hardwood, but we're going to talk about a thrilling game, a good test for the LSU women's basketball team. They needed overtime to beat Uga, but they got the job done. We'll talk about that next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. The LSU Tigers women's basketball team, man, they had their hands full. Classic letdown game, right? They got up for Monday's game against Tennessee, a game that was immensely competitive. They had their hands full in that ball game. It was the whiteout game, 15,000 plus. They set a new attendance record on Monday. So Georgia comes to town. They're a good team, not a great team. They may not even be a tourney team. But not as many fans showed up for Thursday night. LSU came out a little flat. And, man, it was the most push they've been in a game all season. But yet LSU finds a way. Uh, they have Angel Reese and no one else does. Can we just go ahead and just just kick? We, we keep talking about her accomplishments, but when they needed someone to take over that game in particular in overtime, 
there's no doubt who the alpha dog is for the number three ranked undefeated now 22-0 LSU women's basketball team, is there? Alexis Morris has stepped up and is is being one of those dogs they need late in ball games, and she had some struggles early in the ball game, right? Shooting, and then she came up with some big shots late, which made all the difference in the world as they defeat Georgia eighty-two to seventy-seven in overtime. They were down, and they were able to survive. Georgia came right out. And took control of this game. 15 to 10 after the first quarter. LSU could not shoot in this ball game, Dawson. And you tell Kim Mulkey was frustrated. Her team came out flat. They struggled to find a rhythm. Georgia went out there and shot 54% from the field for the game. 54.7% for the game. LSU, meanwhile, just shot 35%. And that was after it had to rally in the fourth to force overtime. And then they played much better in the overtime period. They do get to remain undefeated. The 2-3 zone in particular, they had no answer for. Like, LSU played as if they never faced a team that played a 2-3 zone. Now, I haven't watched every LSU women's basketball game this season, admittedly. I don't know if other teams have tried to implement the 2-3. But it sure did seem to frustrate LSU. Struggled to find their offensive rhythm, shooting a season-low 35.8% from the field. And Georgia had the best shooting percentage of any LSU opponent this season, making, once again, that 54.7% from the field. And it was also the first time this season that LSU found itself trailing going into the final quarter. Georgia led by as many as nine early in the fourth. And it looked like it was panic time inside the PMAC. But the Tigers tied the game at 63 with 257 as the game entered its final minutes. They forced a turnover, got the ball back with 7.8 seconds left, and then got the ball back with the game tied at 66, but was unable to convert, sending the game to overtime. Reese was able to give them a one-point lead, and then Alexis Morris got a steal and went all the way to the rack to give the Tigers a 72-69 lead with 3.43 left in overtime. Georgia fights back, ties the game up at 74. But then Morris knocked down a corner three with 49.3 seconds left. She came up big when they needed her, and she's played far better in the last five to seven games. And that left LSU to take the lead back. Got the job done. It wasn't pretty. (laughs) It wasn't. It wasn't pretty. They got tested by a team they probably should have defeated with ease. Morris, after the 31-point career night on Monday, she had 15 and added three threes when they were needed the most. She scored seven in the overtime period as she went a perfect two for two from the field, one from one from three-point range, and two for two from the free throw line. It's amazing. They get the win. That's all that really matters, right? That they're able to pick up the dub. That's all that matters. 
it's also good that they're getting tested because they have the emotional high of winning a big game, setting the attendance record on Monday. They had the classic trap game, let down game. And everyone was kind of, you saw LSU reporters talking about it going, okay, is there going to be an issue here? And they were. Yet they were able to find a way to win the ball game. And Angel Reese was asked afterwards, what did it take for her and her teammates, the fellow Lady Tigers, to get the win last night? I mean, well, kudos to Georgia. They played defense. They played great defense. Um, their 2-3 defense is something. The 1-2-2, two, two, we haven't seen that all year. So for a team to zone us for 40 minutes was something that was new to us. And I think we adjusted well. I mean, we started off slow. But I think it was just about us guarding. Like, we didn't guard that well in the first half. And then we got to it in the second half. So I think we adjusted pretty well. And that's something that we needed. They made the adjustments. That worked really well for them. It's exactly correct. And it worked. They were able to figure out a way to get the job done. And that's all that really matters. Now, Georgia did run that 2-3 zone. Mulkey said they hadn't really saw it all that much. And she elaborated about why was Georgia so frustrating to play last night for her team. I don't know that I could simulate what she does. Give that woman credit. That is an outstanding matchup zone. I knew it when I saw her play other teams. I did not see her coach when she was at Central Florida, but she created a dynasty there. She left to go to Georgia because that's where she played. She brought those players with her. Everything we did tonight, we labored to do. We labored to make the right pass. Um, there was nothing easy. And you want to say, well, we got too high for the Tennessee game. No, 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 no. You give Georgia credit. That zone is tough. I thought we would see more pressing. They usually press more. I guess she felt like she didn't have to do it. They were, you know, doing their job in the half court. I can't tell you we won because of this, this, this. I can't do that. I would have to go back and take a deep breath. I'd have to go back and evaluate the game. I know we got to the foul line a lot, and that is hard to do against a zone. You got to make your free throws. We missed 17 free throws. We, I guess you would say, made just enough plays at the right time to pull out a victory. Kim's always going to give credit to the other team and their coach. It's just how she's built. She's old school that way. So, But you can give credit to the other team and also admit that, and she did, her team didn't play well. Right, They didn't shoot the ball well. They didn't shoot their free throws well. She gives credit to Georgia, but also puts it on her team. And uh, I would expect a spirited practice session today. (laughs) That's what I would expect from Kim's team as they now prepare for Texas A&M. And what are some of the challenges that the Aggies are going to present Kim's team? A much improved team. They're healthy now. They They have players back that have been injured. They're winning now. They're competing. Uh, it's hard to, to really do anything when, when your kids are injured. And uh, if you see them now and compare them to a month ago, much, much improved. In fact, they beat Georgia pretty handedly. So we know what we face. We'll get in the film room, and um, everybody will be ready to go tomorrow. So there you go. They get prepared for Texas A&M. This weekend, the Lady Tigers will, as they escape Georgia at the PMAC on Thursday night to remain undefeated moving forward. 
We got to take a timeout. When we return, ooh, Raging Cajun women get the dub. Raging Cajun men get the dub. Our team was there to, there to cover it. We'll recap it all for you coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller. Constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. But this was a team effort. We knew we'd get a struggle, uh, or fight, I should say, for these guys, and it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be a struggle. We talked about it getting halftime. We were disappointed. We let a 12-point halftime lead go down, and I think they outscored us maybe 10-2 to end the half. And the second half, we came out and got on them quick, uh, made some shots. Greg had a big dunk for us on, on the break, and things started to go our way. I thought our defense was good in the second half. They're a really tough, tenacious rebounding team. They're going to get some, but they whooped us on the glass tonight. That's something we, we've got to work on. We also missed a few free throws that we planned to make. Uh, so we got to get better there. I thought we shot the three really good. I think we missed our last four. So we were at 70%. And Ken Trails won at the end of the half. We felt like it was going to go. It didn't. But uh, we hit some big ones. Joe hit a couple of big ones. Again, gave us a big boost. And we're just excited to get the win. and. and Head upstairs in a minute, start focusing on Marshall. Longtime Raging Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin talking about his team's 82 to 63 win over Texas State. Once again, Texas State's won the regular season championship back to back years. It's a team that the Cajuns know is going to play them hard. They had to go on the road to San Marcos and beat them by nine <clears throat> last night, though they were able to extend their eight game win streak and push it to nine with a win. Once again, they're now 9-2 and two in Sunbelt Conference play after starting off 0-2. Marshall comes to town, obviously, on Saturday. Tomorrow night's going to be senior night. The Fabulous Cajun Chicken is going to be in the house. It's going to be electric. Dawson, Iserlow will be there. Bringing your pop, right? Is that the game plan? Dawson's bringing the dad, the original Iceman, to the show. So, going to have a great time. I will be there. As well as a fan, not going as media. Matthew Miguez will be there to represent the station, but I'll be in attendance. I want to check this out. Should be a great local event to go to. It's a sloppy game. Back and forth. And neither team shot the ball extremely well overall. The Cajuns did go on a run where they went 9 of 14 from the field, 
imperfect from downtown in the first 12 minutes. Williams was a big part of that. Greg Williams Jr., who led all scores with 10 during that stretch. But then Texas State went on a 10-0 run to end the first half. It's a 38-34 score line, which made it a four-point game at the break. Cajuns did shoot 52% from the field in the first half against a pretty good Texas State defense. But Texas State started the second half by answering every offensive bucket from UL, only giving the Cajuns nine points to start the half. At 15.53 to go, Louisiana only held a 47-41 advantage. And it stayed close down the stretch as the Cajuns outscored the Bobcats 19-16 to hold a 66-57 lead with 7.33 remaining. The Cajuns hit nine of their last 11 shots in the second half. So even though they were streaky in this game, when it mattered the most, they stepped up and made their shots. They closed out a game. They were able to close out the game. Williams continued to lead all scorers with 21. They ended the contest on a 16-6 run. That's what you do. When you're a great team, when you have aspirations of being an NCAA tournament team, you know what you do? You go out there and you close it out. And that's what Bob Marlin's team has done for the most part this season, in particular during this nine-game winning streak. They know what to do to close out the ball game to get the W. That's so important. So important. Once again, Greg Williams Jr. joined the 1,000-point club with his 23-point performance. 541 of his points came in a Raging Cajun uniform. Still got plenty more to add. He was also, obviously, the big-time player of the game with another 20-point performance. He led all scorers with 23 points on 7-10 shooting and 3 of 5 from beyond the arc. He also had 5 rebounds and... Greg Williams Jr. shared his thoughts on joining the 1,000-point club. Uh, you know, I think it's just it's a good thing to celebrate, you know, just being a part of that that club, if you will. But, you know, I think I'm more focused on winning a championship. So I think that's the, that's the real goal ahead. I like the, the mindset of this team. And Bob told us about the team's chemistry. And I know a lot of Raging Cajun fans sometimes scoff at what Bob says because – They feel like it's just, you know, coach talk or he always talks about team chemistry or this and this. But but you can see it when you watch this team play and you see it when you see them play. You see it when you see them interact on the court, which is just as important. How they talk to each other, their body language with each other and what they say in postgame interviews. It's all it's all right there. It's all the same. That shows a team that's. Got one goal, Dawson. They have one vision. They understand what's at stake, and they understand what needs to be done. This one right here was maybe as impressive as any game they've played this season for a couple of reasons. This was like when they created the term trap game, this is the game they were talking about. You just came Mm -hmm. off of a huge emotional comeback victory against Georgia Southern on Saturday. You have, you know, the biggest marketed game in a long time at the Cajun Dome on Saturday on this Saturday against Marshall Cajun Chicken returning Marshall's playing well that game's going to be for first place everything like that going on meanwhile you have a Texas State team coming in getting their best offensive player back in Mason Harrell who hadn't played in the last few games before that 
and already kind of challenged you when you played them at their house. Another team that plays really well on the road, actually. Texas State, a uh, pretty decent team when it comes to playing yes. on the road. So all those things considered, this was like the perfect scenario for a letdown game and a trap game, and yet you came out and played really well. I thought when Texas State kept it close, it wasn't a matter of UL letting them back in the game. It was a matter of Texas State playing pretty well and making some good runs and doing some things offensively. So this shows you a veteran team. We've talked about that before. The mindset seems different on this team. This definitely feels like uh, any of the teams we've seen in the last two, three years would have lost this game. Correct. And now the other thing is those teams probably wouldn't have even been in this position in the first place with a nine-game winning streak. But this team just seems different in that regard. And I thought it was one of their you know better played games. It, it, Texas State tries to turn it into a slugfest every time you play them. That's their goal is to keep the game in the 50s. You didn't allow them to do that. You scored over 80 points on one of the league's better defenses. Overall, I mean, not much more I could have seen that would have made me you know, feel better about this team than last night. Last two years, they get to the semifinals of the conference tournament in Pensacola, and then they get to the championship game, right? So those teams peaked late. This team has a lot of guys that were on those teams that has that experience. It's got to make you feel a lot better about the Cajuns' chances when they go to Pensacola to the Civic Center and play in the conference tournament and winning the thing, right? The, what you're seeing. I don't I don't care what happens Saturday against Marshall, but just overall how you feel about Bob Marlin's team is different as it stands right now on February 3rd as it has the last two Februaries. 100%. And, you know, look, as really this team is really, really good. And all that being said, the nature of the Sun Belt, probably a one-bit league again this year. Maybe probably. there's a chance if one of these two – if if you, Southern Miss, and Marshall all run the table, only losing to each other, maybe there's a conversation, but probably not because the non-conference wins aren't there. So The loser probably can sneak into the NIT. Yeah, maybe. certainly. I think, I think conference tournament winner goes, obviously, will go to the NCAA tournament. But if the Cajuns get to the final game, the championship game, them or Southern Miss or Marshall, and, who, and one of those teams loses the conference championship game, the tournament game, I could see that team getting a bit into the NIT. Right. But so all that being said, I think this team is really good, but it's going to be really difficult to win that conference tournament no matter oh, what. Because Marshall, you're going to find out on Saturday night how good Marshall is. Southern Miss didn't play well when they came to the Cajun Dome, but we they will UL will travel there on Thursday night. That'll be another. So you're, you're still going to get tested this it's week. It's going to be back-to-back, right? It, yep. You get Marshall and Southern Miss back-to-back. Which that's the right now the clear-cut three best teams in the league, but I will say a team that you shouldn't fall asleep on is James Madison. They're up to 7-4. and four. All the basketball metrics, the Ken Palm rankings and all that, that don't actually love UL very much. They have they give them one of the best luck ratings in the country. I was trying to look into what that means last night. Still unsure about it, but JMU is a team that's playing really well. They're up to 7-4, and four, and you can't forget about Monroe. They're still overachieving based on their record. But my point there with all this is that this, this league is deeper than it's been in a long time, so you're going to have to play your best basketball in the tournament to win it, even if you go into it as the one seed and the champions in the regular season and all that. I agree. Absolutely. we got to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and Company. We're going to unveil our poll question of the day and get to some Raging Cajun women's basketball as well. That's all coming up next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. got a lot more aggressive you know I think we quit shooting the three and stuff uh, I think that's one of the things that we got to realize is when you need to shoot them and when not and just get better at it but uh, no I thought we I thought down the stretch especially the fourth quarter uh, for us to better score and get to the line shoot 80% from the line is pretty good for us so I think that's way to finish and you know even though they scored you know they scored more in the 420 I thought you know we kind of were fouling, maybe a little late. Uh, I know Tamara played a lot of minutes and stuff like that, and she's usually the one that gets in the way. And um, Ren was in foul trouble, so that kind of hurt us a little bit. But, I mean, you get a win. Gary Broadhead on his team's 66-58 win over the ULM Warhawks on Thursday night inside the Cajun Dome. Uh, look, they, they turned it around in the second half. They were able to pull out the win. Big key in this ball game, obviously, was defense. They forced ULM. 24 turnovers. Anytime you face another team with 20-plus turnovers, you have a great chance to win. And Broadhead talked about how defense was key for the Raging Cajuns last night. You know, I think that's what we talk about a lot. You know, I I think if we're going to win, it's going to take stops and defense and, you know, turning people over and getting them to play faster and, you know, just trying to play different ways. You know, Coach Sanders is in charge of the defense, and she's she's pretty tough on them. You know, she's very demanding. And that's what we, you know, that's what I love about her. You know, it's like me and Coach Deacon can kind of sit back and just let her do her thing. And I'm, I, I think the kids are buying into it. I think that's the consistency of our team. I think Kevin made a comment a while back that, wow, I mean, the defense might even be better than what we thought, you know, and I think it is. I think it's good. And the good thing about it is continuing. It's only going to get better, and they're going to need that performance. Look, Alicia Bland was great last night, 15 points. Also had four rebounds and three assists. But they're going to need her to step up. They're going to need Lene Whedon, which Gary Broadhead said he expects to play on Saturday. They're going to need a total team effort because conference-leading Troy, their nemesis, those two coaches don't like each other. It goes back to their high school days because they were both high school coaches in the state of Louisiana. That's going to be a good one. Tip off 2 o'clock on Saturday inside the Cajun Dome as the Cajuns are now 13-9 overall and 8-3 and in the Sun Belt Conference. Impressive, impressive, impressive. Poll question of the day is up. What should Dawson's nickname be? Should it be D-Lo? Should it be Iceman? Should it be D-Nice? Or Saucy Dawsey? Go vote on the poll question of the day and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two coming up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
The New Orleans Pelicans lose their 10th straight game as Luka leaves the game injured before, well, not before scoring 31 points. Pelicans try to storm back, make a game of it, cut it down to a four-point game in the fourth quarter, but it's not enough as they fall to the Mavericks. They've now lost 10 straight. They're now game below 500, and they're currently 10th place in the Western Conference standings. A half game above, I'm sorry, a full game above the Los Angeles Lakers who come to town. And I've been told over and over again, the Lakers are trash this year. Yet, if they beat the Pelicans on Saturday, they'll be tied in the standings. Yay! As Dawson said in hour number one, this team needs the all-star break. Like, it's just, you watch them play, you're like, yeah, they need the break. They need the time to recharge their batteries, reset, figure out what they're going to do, figure out who they're going to move maybe at the tread deadline. Looks like maybe Jackson Hayes, Devontae Graham would make good candidates. I feel like I said the same thing last year, especially about Jackson Hayes and the year before. (laughs) We'll see if it actually happens this year. Pelicans are on the struggle bus. Make no bones about it. And Ali Cassell, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, when he joined us earlier this week, he said, look, they go four and four in their last eight before the All-Star break. They'll have a you know great chance because the schedule kind of lightens up a little bit in the second half. Well, they've started off that eight-game stretch 0-2, correct? It's just 0-1, right? Because he said that after the last game, or was it before it? Oh, no, it was before, yeah, because he said he said he thought they were going to win one of Denver. Denver and, and Tuesday, yeah. Right, so yeah, 0-2. So they're 0-2. Which means they got to win four of six. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happen. I I don't see this team really getting right. But Saturday's game is going to be key. We've talked about this off the air, but we're going to bring it to the air real quick. ESPN has flexed that game earlier in the day. Moved it up two hours. Because LeBron is 63 points away from breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time record for most points scored in the NBA career. I don't think he's going to get 63 points. But they know that LeBron's going to get a lot of people to get eyeballs on the TV. So that game's being flexed. So could see some history make made. And it would just be like LeBron to do that to the Pelicans too. Oh. He's going to take 80 shots, right? He's going to take 80 shots to get there. But if they beat the Lakers, then, you know, their nemesis, then, hey, maybe now you've stopped the bleeding and now you can feel a little bit better about yourself because you got to play L.A. again during the stretch. They played the Lakers twice in the last six games before the All-Star break. So key game coming up for them. Kim Mulkey's team. Speaking of the struggle bus, they were on it early, especially in the first quarter against Georgia's 2-3 defense zone. But they found a way to rally to force overtime, and then Alexis Morris and Angel Reese do what they do best, come up clutch when it matters the most. And they pull out a hard-fought overtime victory over Georgia. They avoid the letdown game. Remember Monday it was against Tennessee. Whiteout game, set the attendance record of 15,000 plus. Maybe looking ahead a little bit to South Carolina coming up a week from Sunday. They're undefeated, one of only two teams in the country. But 
They did not have their best night. Did not have their best shooting night. They did not play their best defense. Yet they gutted out an overtime win over Georgia to remain undefeated. And now they gear up for Texas A&M. I said it before when they were tested a little bit in the Tennessee game. I said it before when they were tested a little bit by Arkansas. This is good. You don't want your team not to be tested. And let's be honest. That's what happened last year, wasn't it? Didn't really get tested. They came on strong, but they didn't have any a lot of gut check games. When they lost, they just lost, right? It was pretty a done deal. And then they got they got caught napping at home in the second round of the NCAA tournament to a team they should have defeated. These type of games happening right now in early February will help prevent that. It's not to say that LSU won't lose in the NCAA women's tournament, but they're not going to get surprised. This is what these games do. While Kim Mulkey's team was finding a way to win in overtime, the Raging Cajun women and the Raging Cajun men both got wins inside the Cajun Dome. Hard-fought wins. Once again, Lene Wheaton was unable to go for the Raging Cajun women. They found a way to win the ball game, forced 24 turnovers as they beat ULM. And they keep climbing higher and higher in the Sunbelt Conference standings. A team that was below 500 for most of the season overall. They got to conference play and they started getting right. But this is what Gary's teams do. They're built to play better in the back half of the season because he preaches defense, defense, defense. And if you have a defensive-minded team that is gritty, and Gary's teams always are, they may not play the prettiest brand of basketball from time to time, but they know how to gut out wins. They're tough. That's what I always like about his teams. They kind of reflect their coach. The women get the win earlier. The men, coming off, as Dawson said, An emotional win come from behind 19-point win on Saturday against Georgia Southern. Well, Texas State, a team that's won the regular season Sunbelt title a few times in recent years. Cajuns shot well in that ballgame. Greg Williams Jr. joined the 1,000-point club, and they got themselves another win. Their ninth straight. They're 9-2 now in Sunbelt Conference play, and they'll be welcoming in the Marshall Thundering Herd. It's going to be a three-team race between Marshall, Southern Miss, and UL to see who wins the regular season championship and gets the one seed. I don't think that's necessarily all that important, and I will explain myself quickly. The depth of the conference is so much this year that the difference between being the one seed and the two seed, not really that much. You'd love to win the regular season title, right? You'd love to be able to put a banner up in the Cajun Dome. That's a championship. You're going to get a trophy, right? You you want that. But when it comes to the tournament seeding process, one or two, I don't, I don't think it matters because I don't think there's that much of a difference, Dawson, between the caliber of team that UL, Marshall, and Southern Miss are compared to the Georgia Southerns, the Texas States, and the Troys. I don't think there's that much of a drop-off. Yeah, I would agree with the seeding point you make. and Because the other thing is, like I said, the team that I'm really keeping my eye on, my eye on is JMU, who's at 7-4, and four, and they're in fourth. So usually if there's a three-team race, you'd say, well, one of the advantages of the one seed is that in the semis you'd match up with that fourth team. But again, I think JMU's right there. 
Correct. There is an advantage to winning the regular season title, and that is that the NIT, now that it's back to normal, remember when COVID, it changed. Yeah. So the regular season champion is guaranteed at least a berth in the NIT. So remember, if UL wins the regular season title and loses in the conference tournament, therefore not getting an NCAA tournament bid, they would be guaranteed the NIT bid. Like they did a few years ago when they uh, lost to LSU in the NIT. Yeah. They got so, in that because they were the regular season champions. So winning the regular season title would at least guarantee you an NIT berth. But yeah, I agree with you. Seeding-wise, it, it's not a huge deal. And the teams that are in first through fourth right now, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in any order at the end of the season because, again, some of the no. UL still has to play Marshall, Tro- my, excuse me, Marshall, JMU, and Southern Miss. Uh, also has to play Troy again. So a lot of teams at the top are going to be playing each other. So seeding is not hugely important, but you do want to win that regular season title, which uh, it's going to be tough to do. But how about the night that's setting up to be Saturday, Saturday afternoon and night, 2 o'clock, uh, the women's game? You've got two battles for first place, essentially. Yes, uh, with the Rage Cajun women playing Troy, who they're one game behind. So if they win that game, they will be in at least a share for first place. And then the men at seven o'clock will have a chance to extend their lead in the in the conference. We'll see if Southern Miss is going to have a chance to win to hold serve and and continue to make it a tie atop. But uh, I can't remember the last time that uh, both teams this late in the season had a chance. Both the men and the women had a chance to be conference leaders at the same time. It's good. I'll need you to look up for me about JMU. They did not qualify for a bowl game in football because of the, the the transition. Does that apply to basketball as well? I will confirm this, but I'm fairly certain it does not because they were already Division One in basketball. That's right. The that's, difference was FBS for football. They were yes, right. They were they were FCS in football, moving right. up to FBS. So we'll we'll confirm that. But I do believe they are going to be uh, able to play in the conference tournament. So um, Dawson's going to make sure to look that up. But look. It's going to be electric tomorrow in the Cajun. Women going to be taking on Troy, their nemesis. Those two coaches don't necessarily like one another all that much. <laughs> There's some history there, a little bit of history there. Um, it is not, you know, yeah, they're they're respectful. As, let's just say that there's a respectful dislike between the two. And then a really great game. We're all anticipating this being one of the best games of the season. For the Raging Cajuns men, Marshall, and just not because the fabulous Cajun chicken is going to be there. Because he will be there. And you know what? We're going to talk more about Saturday's game when Russell Heim, the fabulous Cajun chicken, joins us at 8 o'clock this morning here on RP3 and Company. He has not performed as the Cajun chicken for 20 years. A whole generation has never seen him perform. They're going to be in a treat because he's going to be back inside the Cajun Dome Saturday night. We'll talk about that and more coming up right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Game cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
We had some king cake yesterday for an event here with Delta Media, and uh, I was one of the first people to eat the king cake, and guess who had the baby in his slice of king cake? I bit down so hard I bit uh, the baby's arm off. (laughs) I was like, hey, what's that? That's a little plastic baby piece. It's dangerous, man. Dangerous. Now, most most people, a lot of bakeries won't even put the baby inside the king cake anymore. They just set it in the middle because too many people were choking on them, right? That's lawsuits. No, lawsuits. Oh, well, I'm not going to sue. You know what I'm not going to sue? Because you gave me free food. I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I am not a complex individual. You, you, you don't get to be the big, bald, and beautiful one by being complex and filled with layers. That's just not how that works. You know... Poll question of the day. It's, it's generated some interesting comments here, Dawson. It's all about you, bud. Dawson Islow is our new producer. Well-versed in sports, passionate about sports, well-educated. Gonna be, He's going to have a bright future here at Delta Media, and we're happy to have him be part of the team. But as many of you know, being part of the team here usually means being given some sort of nickname usually by yours truly. Louis Prejean, I gave him the nickname MC Louis P. We even created a Christmas rap video together, which uh, we will share and, you know, find that for you somewhere. Hannah, of course, was easy because instead of me having to call Hannah by all of her names, I was like, Hannah, five names. Very simple. And you, the listeners, embraced those nicknames for the two producers that last the longest here in RP3 and company, we don't need to go into the the fact that Dawson's number six overall. We had two interim producers in there. So does that really count? Am I really, you know, the spinal tap drummer here of producer? I just, I'm just saying. But it's kind of a rite of passage. So many of you have given your recommendations over the course of the last week because you're excited because, hey, there's a new guy joining the team. This is how this is how they embrace you, Dawson. Now, Dawson told us that Iceman was something that his dad used to go by. And because, obviously, Dawson's last name is Iser Lowe, so it's kind of a play on words. It makes a lot of sense. And Top Gun's hot right now, again, right? So, makes sense. I personally prefer the one I came up with, and I came up with two of them, and he likes one of them more than the other. I personally like D-Lo, but we spell it D-L-O-H. That's more of a play on name. It just sounds cool. Sounds kind of like a wrestling name. So I like that one. Some of you had some other recommendations. Triple D, (laughs) the Delta Dog was another one that has come up. There's been a plethora of recommendations from all of you and got none but love for all of y'all for doing that. But we came down to four finalists. What should Dawson's nickname be? D-Lo, Iceman, D-Nice, or Saucy Dossy, which is just kind of funny. Right now, 38% of you say D-Lo, 29% of you say Iceman, 19% say Saucy Dossy, 14% say D-Nice. Let's get to some comments. JPK the OD, none of the above. You need to stop trying 
to make this a thing. It needs to happen randomly, organically, naturally, on its own. Stop it, GIF. And that was from JPK the OD. I'm going to explain to you why JPK the OD reacted this way, Dawson. I'm going to give you some background. JPK the OD, friend of the show. Also, big fan of Hannah Five Names. Also helped Hannah Five Names pick her Major League Baseball team. He was instrumental in helping her get more educated on sports and helped her find her Major League Baseball team, which ended up being the Seattle Mariners, who he roots for. So I believe JPK the OD is a little upset that Hannah Five Names has gone off to another role with Delta Media as the social media coordinator, a promotion, if you will. And I think he just misses Hannah and is trying to tell us to stop, even though we've come up with nothing but organic nicknames for everyone here at the station since I've been here. So I think JPK, the OD, needs a hug. I understand. Hannah's still going to be around. You can still communicate with her on social media. Ton has chimed in as well. And I chimed in with a response of, not going to do it. <laughs> Sorry, not going to do it. But if you know JPK, the OD, send him a, a hug. He needs one today. Ralph on Twitter says, still like Delta Dog, or if he doesn't let someone on the air, denial. <laughs> they got a chuckle out of Dawson, though. <laughs> that did get a chuckle out of you. But the Iceman cometh. Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and Company, by the way. You need to know that. Darren is our number one Raging Cajun fan because my man goes to road games for the football team. Like, that's how committed he is. I've seen him at a couple of games. Darren says, Saucy Dossy, the man with the sauce. Todd on Twitter says, You know, at Jamie Green Tenors, DJ Dossie E is sounding better and better. <laughs> Dawson is shaking, is shaking his head. No, look, I do want to jump in here because we had a we had a bit of a conversation in the break, you know, laughing about how five names used to stack these poll votes in her favor sometimes with the food questions. Yes, she would recruit her mother. Yeah. Early in the morning to go vote. And she'd use other accounts to go vote to try to sway people for the foodie poll question of the week. And it would never work because it would always go against her. And I'd like to point out, Louis Prejean used to try to do that as well and try to convince people on the microphone to vote his way because he said he didn't like hot dogs or fireworks or something like that. And it went exactly the opposite way. So if you try to use back channels to stuff the ballot, or if you try to politic on the microphone to get people to vote another way, these listeners, our people, the Darrens, the Jamies, the Tons, the JPK, the ODs, the Dugs, Salty Steve, Martin, Paul, the whole gang, they're going to go the other way on you, bud. Well, no, and, and they're exactly the way my friends are. So we, we <laughs> joked about that, and I knew not even to text and ask for a favor of trying to vote one way. Cause I, cause guess what? I didn't text anyone about it, and I got a text from my buddy Joey a few minutes ago, who just said, "Just so you know how I voted," and he clearly voted for Saucy Dossy, which is the worst choice of the four. <laughs> and I said, "You're the problem." <laughs> You're the problem. You gotta so, love your boys. Thankfully, though. you gotta love your boys. Oh yeah, no. But thankfully, I didn't text any group chats and say, "Hey guys, go vote," you know, on the poll question, because I knew they would. They like to troll. And that's just the nature of things today. So, yeah, no, it's almost like you have to 
try reverse psychology. Like, try to get them to vote for what you don't want. If you, so I didn't even uh, attempt it. I love it. I love it. Uh, Ton tweeted out, I used to date a D-nice, or no, Denise, my bad. Yes, that's the problem with D-nice, even though it reminds me of like early 90s hip-hop. So D-nice. It's my man D-nice on the microphone. But then you can turn it into Denise pretty easily. So that's, yeah, you made sure to point that out to me <laughs> as as well. Uh, let's get to some other comments. B Rad says option one. He goes with D Low. I think it just sounds, it just seems, it kind of flows, right? Seems a little bit more natural. Yeah, don't hate it. Don't yeah, hate it. Don't hate it. Uh, B Rad says option one. Iceman's been used so many times. Be original. Build your own legacy. Oh, some recommendation. Not to be insulting to Papa Iserlow. No, no, it's not what we're doing here. It's just the young man's out on his own now. Wants to build his own legacy. John Paul, Cajun Daddy, says, no, 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 and no at RP3 Sports. You should not have taken advice for these names from Clint Domain. Clint Domain getting astray this morning for no good reason, which, by the way, I'm here for. Anytime that happens. The world-famous CD. How about something simple? D-Dog. Hey, I think my dad said something around along the lines of that the other day, which, I mean, it, it's not the worst. But, again, you, you talk about things that have been done plenty of times before. That's certainly a, a pretty simple one, you know? Yes. Brody on Twitter says, no slaw, extra sauce. With a picture of Raising Cane's dipping. Oh, man. Hart on Twitter says, Dossie Ice. No direct relation, correlation with this guy, though. Shared a poor picture of Matt Ryan. Forever just shares a gift of Jody Hill going, no, 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 stop, stop, no, stop. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. What should Dawson's nickname be on the air? Right now, leading the vote with 38% of the vote is D Lo. 25% of the vote going to Iceman. 24% going now to Saucy Dossy. See what happened? See what happened? We talked about it and then it started right. <laughs> And 13% for D-Nice. Keep those votes coming. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. Coming up next here on RP3 and Company, our first guest of the day, Corey Diaz. He covers the LSU women's basketball team and the UL football team for the Daily Advertiser. We'll talk about both of those with Corey next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. In the sports media world, most reporters cover one team. That's all most can handle. But you know, our first guest on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company is not like most. Never has been. Even when he was up on the I-20 corridor, he covered multiple teams like a champ. And guess what? That's what he does right now. 
Not only is he the LSU women's basketball beat reporter for the Daily Advertiser, he's also the beat reporter for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns football team. The man who wears so many different hats, Corey Diaz, joins us now. Brother, good morning to you, bud. How are you? You're too kind, brother. I never know which hat to to put on in the morning when I wake up. So thanks for the reminder. (laughs) Not a problem. It's, you know, look. That's what I'm here for, bud. I'm here to make you feel better about yourself, not to worry. Um, All the hard work is not going unnoticed. (laughs) So (laughs) let's let's start off with the LSU women's basketball team. Uh, They've been tested a little bit this year by Arkansas. Then they were tested on Monday night against Tennessee, but they were able to get those wins to stay undefeated. Last night, they were in a world of hurt for a long time until Morris and Reese made the shots down the stretch to force overtime and then came up big clutch in the extra period. What does a game like this, though, do for Kim Mulkey's team? Because I feel like a game like Monday, which was emotional and they were tested, last night being tested by a team that was obviously inferior than the, to them, can only help them not suffer an early exit in the NCAA tournament like they did last year. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I do, Raymond. And, and really it's because if you think back to, um, you know, even back to the Arkansas game, right, um, you know, there's three minutes to go and, and they're down by three points. Um, and for all intents and purposes, uh, that was far and away the most stressful situation in a game that they had been a part of at that point in the year because they had been steamrolling everyone else up to that point. So uh, these games have, have at least proven that when the game is on the line and somebody, whether it's Angel Reese, Alexis Morris, Jasmine Carson, uh, Flage Johnson, regardless of who it may be, they've stepped up and made the big play when it needed to be made. And, and they, can, uh, they can elevate their game um, in really high tense, stressful situations, and, it's, and and you mentioned a great point. You know, um, you know, last year in the second round of the NCAA tournament, you know, with, high, with Ohio State in town, you know, a team who uh, full court presses you for forty minutes, um, you know, they kind of folded under that a little bit. Uh, I don't think this team will do that this year. I think they have the makeup, and they've already proven it. Um, they can. Um, you know, make those plays at the end of the game uh, to to win games, um, and they've done that uh, really three straight games. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see. Uh, I, you know, the, obviously the, the the thing about last night too, right at the beginning was you know where was the energy level going to be? Was it going to be a hangover from the big win against Tennessee, or were they going to come out and, and stay hot? Um, you know, obviously I, they were certainly flat at the beginning of the game, uh, but you also have to credit Georgia too. I, I thought they're their matchup man slash zone defense that they run uh, is is one of the better defensive schemes that I've seen all year. So uh, you got to credit Georgia too. They they had a tremendous game plan and 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 damn near ran it to perfection last night. Let's talk about that two three zone that gave LSU so many fits. Do you believe that's something just that Georgia is able to execute because of their coach and how she runs that defense, or do you think that's something that other teams? can now look at and go, hey, that's going to give us a good chance to beat LSU. Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, basketball, you know, is, is, is tricky like football, right? Um, you you have 
basically kind of like your baseline philosophies on, you know, what you do offensively, what you do defensively. Uh, Katie Abramson Henderson, uh, you know, she played at Georgia. Um, you know, I'm not going to date her, uh, but she, she played at Georgia uh, a, a little while ago um, and, and was the coach at Central Florida uh, for a handful of years before taking the job at her alma mater. Uh, this past offseason, this is her first year at Georgia. She that's uh, her defensive philosophy is something that she pulled from her coach at, when she was a player at Georgia. That's something that they've been working on, you know, since you know July. Uh, it, I don't think a team can can watch the film from last night, saw what gave LSU trouble. Uh, which I thought what really gave them trouble was, um, you know, first off, keeping Angel Reese, uh, having her having to guard on the perimeter again, just like Tennessee did. Um, but also, too, that they did not allow lane penetration from the guards, uh, and they switched on screens. There, there's things that they did that certainly LSU, uh, you know, didn't really anticipate a whole lot uh, happening that did, but. Uh, it, it, it would be different for it would be difficult, I think, for a team to watch that film and say, okay, here's. It, it'd be tough to learn that kind of schematic on defense in a, in a day or two or three, you know, in between games. Uh, so teams this time of year, kind of what they do is what they're going to do. Um, it's just about you know efficiency and execution, right? And and yep, again, you have to take your hat off to Georgia last night because it was it was almost perfect. And had they had played perfect defense, they would have won the game in regulation last night. That's a good point by you, Corey. And look, I want to look ahead, not to look past Texas A&M, but there's a Super Bowl Sunday marquee matchup down in Columbia between LSU and South Carolina. They're going to be taking on the defending champs, who are the number one ranked team in the country. Uh, These two coaches don't necessarily like each other. It's going to be a great environment. But when I look at the difference between these two teams, they're the only two teams left in women's basketball that's, or that are undefeated. But I look, the big difference for me, in, uh, despite the fact that the Gamecocks are the defending champs, is this. They have played a non-conference schedule where they defeated the number two ranked team in the country, Stanford. They defeated the number seven ranked team in the country, Maryland. They defeated a top 25-ranked UCLA team. They're going to be playing at number 5 UConn on Sunday. South Carolina, because of their experience, but also because of their scheduling, they're going to be better equipped for this marquee matchup on Super Bowl Sunday than LSU is. How important is that going to be in the factor of that ballgame? Yeah, I think, you know, I do think that is going to – play a factor in that because you have to think about this um, colonial life arena sits, um, you know, a, a shade less than, than 18,000 people. Believe you me, South Carolina will find a way to get over 18,000 people in that building. Uh, I was there last year when college game day was there for the Tennessee game. They had 17, seven or something. I can't remember exactly what the attendance number was, but, yeah, the other night against Tennessee at the PMAC, it was certainly uh, a really loud environment. But when Colonial Life, man, when it's rocking, I, I haven't, I still haven't heard or been in an environment like that. 
this LSU team, you know, when, again, and you talk about, you know, a lot of the younger players that play vital roles for this team, like a Flajay Johnson, um, like a Kateri Poole, who had a really big game last night for this team, the, a, a performance that this team needed off of the bench, and if they didn't, they were going to lose. Uh, the, these players, you know, they hadn't really experienced anything like that before. You know, and, and again, like you said, I mean, South Carolina and Dawn, you know, they've been on the road to the Maple Center out at Stanford and then go there on the road and beating a Stanford team at their place. I mean, uh, it, it's 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 certainly two different uh, philosophies on, on how you run a, a program, right? How you how you schedule, how you how you go about your your day to day operations. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's lots of other things on the court too that I think South Carolina probably holds an advantage of. I mean, they they have a lockdown defender and Bree Bill. I mean, LSU really doesn't have that. Um, you know, they've got a lockdown defender in the post in Victoria Saxon. I don't really think LSU has that. I think Georgia exposed some of the things defensively that LSU tried to do in the post last night. Um, so there, there's – Kim is building – Kim Mulkey's building this thing back up. Um, it's it's not it, – she's having a great year too, but it's not going to take just two years. Like, she's going to need another year, another two. She needs to get a, a couple more of her recruiting classes in Baton Rouge – uh, to really get this thing looking like the way she wants it to look, because uh, it's still not quite there yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's look. Hey, Super Bowl Sunday is going to be the SEC Women's Basketball Super Bowl. I mean, you know, and obviously we'll probably see it again the following month. You know, in Greenville, South Carolina, at the SEC tournament, probably for the tournament championship. But um, I mean, you're looking at a one v two or a one v three regular season game. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be electric. a tremendous appetizer for the Super Bowl. Brother, i get you out of here with this. National Signing Day, the traditional period was this week. A bit of a lackluster, you know, the early signing period's really kind of stolen its thunder. But the Cajuns were able to add four more recruits to their 2023 class. A Southern University DB who with uh, three years of starting experience is going to come in. That's, that's, that's a great get. But they also got the very dynamic Lutcher dual-threat quarterback at the last minute, which was a nice get for this program. What do you make? of what Coach Dez was able to do to put the finishing touches on the 2023 recruiting class for the football team. Yeah, man, you listen, you did it. And um, <laughs> I, I, I often wonder sometimes, you know, what, you know, what film people may be watching, um, you know, what exactly are these, uh, you know, college coaches looking for in a, you know, player at whatever position they may play right uh listen i i was at the the, the lutcher north desoto state championship game this year rp3 i think you may have been as well um dewanye lunch winfield was probably one of the better players that i saw play in a state championship game all that weekend in new orleans yep. uh, for for him for him to still be on the table for for ul to sign in the late signing period uh, I mean, it's probably going to be this. It, it's the steal. I mean, there's there's no other way to categorize it. I mean, they 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 the big time steal for them. He he is going to be he's going to be a a factor um, for this team at the quarterback spot in a couple of years. I, in fact, I mean, you know, it's like Des said yesterday. You know, he's actually a little more advanced than a normal freshman high school quarterback coming in. I mean, they're they're going to give the guy a look. You know, um, you know. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I know they've got they've got three other scholarship quarterbacks there, um, but I think Dewanye he'll he'll come in and he'll learn um, and he'll you know he'll at least make a little noise. Um, but 
I mean, uh, they needed help, you know, at defensive back. Glenn Brown from Southern, a guy that has a lot of experience. He's, he's a guy that they feel like can come in and make an immediate impact. He's played a lot of football. I think he started 36 games for the Jags. Um, and, you know, just a couple of others, Emilio Silvadano, you know, he plays linebacker. Uh, you know, that's that was another area of need. Um, now, he probably is not an immediate impact guy, but he has a body that can, uh, you know, give you extra reps in practice and, uh, I th- personally, I thought, man, it was a, it was a good close um, to a to a to a signing period uh, for for Dez and his staff. Um, they they really attacked areas of need, um, and um, you know, I think it's I think it's guys. You know, again, it's, you see four, you got man, it's really small, but you know, they had already signed twenty two, so you know, they didn't really have to have a lot of a lot of other bodies come into the program, so. Um, overall, man, I think this was ranked the fifth best Sunbelt Conference class. Um, but, you know, Arkansas State signed 36, so they should have had the highest rated Sunbelt. So I don't really buy into those rankings a whole lot. Um, this is one of the better classes in Sunbelt, and I think this is a class that can, that can certainly get this program pointed back in the direction of getting back to divisional championships and back to the potentially the, the conference championship game. Corey, appreciate your insight. And your analysis, as always, brother, enjoy your weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Sounds good, brother. Appreciate y'all. Y'all take care. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Salty Steve. Dawson, you're going to learn this about Steve. He prides himself on Fridays going with no salt. The rest of the week, Steve's dishing out the salt. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Sometimes twice in a show. But Friday, our guy prides himself on being hashtag no salt Friday. This is his comment about the poll question of the day, which is about your new nickname. D-Lo sounds appropriate. It's short, simple, and to the point, much like his comments on the show. Excellent choice, Raymond. Hashtag no salt Friday. You got to appreciate that. We got we got Salty Steve on board. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Let's get to the results right now as we enter the final hour of RP3 and Company. What should Dawson's nickname be? 39% of you say D-Lo. 29% say Saucy Dawsey. 19% say Iceman. 13% say D-Nice. Once again, if you see JPK the OD out there, make sure to give him a hug. Might have to give him a virtual hug or something. Mr. Green says, thank God your name isn't Matthew or Nathaniel. Awesome Dawson coming in hot. <laughs> Jamie. Don replies, dude, you're such a dad, LOL. Yes, Mr. Green is such a dad. He's got a small one at home. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Doug has chimed in. Our guy, Doug. 
D'Lo isn't bad, but what about Awesome Dawson? Just saying. The people already love you, and they want to say that you should be considered awesome. Now, look, that was a name that, like, a family nickname when I was, like, really young that was thrown around there. But, like, I never, it doesn't even actually rhyme. So I didn't, I never, I was like, it doesn't work. It doesn't, whatever. (laughs) We got to take a timeout. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We're going to kick it off with the fabulous Cajun chicken, Russell Heim. He'll join us next live right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Tomorrow night inside the Cajun Dome is going to be a special affair. Uh, the the lead-up is going to be the Louisiana women's basketball team is taking on conference-leading Troy. That's a rivalry, especially between the two coaches. And Gary Broadhead's team has really turned a corner. They're starting to play their, some of their best basketball, defensive-minded basketball at this point of the year, which, look, if you've covered Gary at all in his career from high school on through college, shouldn't be too surprised that his team's playing well in February. Then the nightcap is going to be senior night for the men's basketball team. Bob Marlin's team's taking on Marshall Thundering Herd. Really, this is going to be a battle for first place in the Sunbelt Conference. It's going to be a heck of a game, heck of an environment. And making it even more special is the return of the fabulous Cajun Chicken. That's right. It has been 20 years since he was on the court entertaining fans inside the Cajun Dome for men's basketball games. A legendary figure amongst the fan base. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked about (laughs) the Cajun chicken coming back. People are really excited about this. (laughs) And joining us now here at RP3 and Company is the man who portrays the fabulous Cajun chicken. Russell Heim joins us now. Russell, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for the time, my friend. How are you? Oh, thank you for allowing me to join you this morning. I, I tell folks, look, I'm just a chicken's driver. What the chicken does, <laughs> I can't help that. So you got to be he, honest he with me. Stuff. You got to be honest with me, Russ. Uh, how much working out have you done in the last couple of weeks? Uh, stretching exercises and conditioning stuff to get prepared to go out there and be busting those moves in the Cajun I, chicken outfit. I've been stretching. I've been working out. Uh, I am as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> you know, it, I don't know if that's good. All I know is my son said, Dad, just make sure Katie and the ambulance is on standby. That's all I was. That was the main thing, bit of advice I got. Yeah. Did you make sure to ask your old friend Dan McDonald to make sure that happens, that there's going to be EMTs on standby? I've already been assured by that. Uh, the coaching staff has said that uh, – our trainers will be there in case they're needed, along with the kitty and ambulance with a defibrillator. <laughs> with a defibrillator. Right, walk me back, Russell, because, uh, look, you had such a great run entertaining at games. How did the genesis of all of this come to be the first time around? How did you come to be the fabulous Cajun chicken to begin with? 
how I, it started, I was doing Budman from Budweiser. I uh, won that audition, and Budman had showed up for the Budweiser Bayou Classic basketball tournament. And then I started doing some of the additional games. Well, Budman got a little too popular and was asked not to come back to the games. So uh, about a year and a half later, Wright Waters contacted me about developing another character. Wright was the associate athletic director at the time. Terry Don Phillips was there. And they said, can you develop another character other than Budman? We like what you were doing. We just can't. You just can't do the Budman. They said, uh, they called me on a Wednesday. He said, can you have something here for Saturday's football game? And I went scrambling around. I found a dog costume and a bird costume that were available. I took the bird costume because my face didn't show. <laughs> and um, that is how it got started. I told them, I said, do not introduce me. I want it to be accepted upon its own merit. And if the people like it, then they'll accept it. And um, it really got popular during that first basketball season when I started doing some of this, just small skits. And it got dubbed the uh, Cajun Chicken by Bruce Brown of the uh, Advertiser. And that's where the name came from. Um, then I changed it up when I recopyrighted the, when I copyrighted the character a couple of years later. We went from the Cajun Chicken to the fabulous Cajun Chicken. Early on, when you started performing back there in Blackham Coliseum back in 1984, and then you followed the team yeah. when it went to the Cajun Dome two years later, uh, how many skits did you have early on? I mean, was it just like one or two things? And how and how yeah. quickly did you develop more skits? Once we realized, uh, the first skit I think I did was, uh, I think like a little army man, I found a helmet and uh, I made a little like bush that I could sneak up on the other team. And it was just something I tried. Then all of a sudden that got uh, people like that. So I started doing just kind of, okay, what can we do now? And I tried to base the character on the coyote and the roadrunner cast uh, cartoons where comes up with these elaborate schemes to try and sneak up on the other team. And that's how it developed me and my assistant, David Verisco. David and I would have a margarita, then we'd go to Toys R Us and say, okay, what can we use? And can we use this? And that's how a lot of skits got developed. Because it was all based upon we need to get a whole story across in 30 seconds. You did a, always a great job with your skits over the years impersonating entertainers. Well, thank you and other celebrities, who were some of your favorites to do personally? I know fans have their favorites. They always loved you when you did oh, Michael yeah. Jackson, but who were some of the favorites that you loved to do every time and it never got old for you? Oh, I, I, I love doing Elvis. Uh, doing uh, MC Hammer was a little tough. I just couldn't dance like him. <laughs> uh, Michael the, Jackson was, uh, that was the one that, I did not want to do that skit the first time I did it. I had done um, something with the Rage and Jazz, and it was a Michael Jackson deal. They, that's where the, the red glove came from. And I kept putting it off, putting it off. I didn't want to do it. I didn't like it. And we had a game that had multiple overtimes, and David says, look, just go ahead and do it. And I brought the Michael Jackson out, and the Cajun Dome security 
came and told me afterwards, said, please don't ever do that again without telling us first. This place went crazy. And all of a sudden, Michael was one of my top skits. So just like that, you were able to adjust. You understood being an entertainer sometimes means adjusting to what the crowd wants, what really reacts with the crowd, and not necessarily what you in ha- have in your head is going to work, right? It, oh, exactly. There's several skits that we did using the remote control uh, that did not go over. Just total flops. Uh, one doing the Energizer Bunny. Um, let's see, it was another one that we did uh, with a duck hunter. They just, they just fell flat, so we never used them again. But the shark, everybody loved the shark on the remote, on the remote control. When did you know early on, like during a game, you know, obviously the crowds come and go. Some, some, some games are going to have better crowds than others. Sometimes the seasons, uh, you know, kind of reflect or impact what the attendance is going to be like, right? You know that. So right, right. Uh, how do you know, do you, do you get a sense as a longtime entertainer once you walk onto the court that it's going to be a good night, that you're going to get a good reaction? Or are you still not sure until you actually begin the routine? Uh, never sure until I do the routine. Uh, you don't know how people are going to react. And most of my skits, the way I we approach the game is, okay, this is what we're planning, but everything goes around how the game is going at that time. Uh, sometimes we push skits up back or don't do them because we need to get the crowd motivated. There's The Cajuns are on a run. Uh, the other team calls a timeout. You don't want to do anything that will bring that crowd down. So we, you know, that's when I grab the drum, grab the red, white tiles, whatever, to get the crowd, keep that, keep that momentum going. That, the game dictates how uh, and what we're going to do. There were skits that we wanted to do. Well, you know, it didn't fit the situation, so we grabbed something else. This game here, everything is pretty well plotted out because I only have so many skits left. I got rid of a lot of them years ago when I put the costume in storage. We're talking with Russell Heim. He's the man who is the fabulous Cajun chicken. He's going to be making a special one-night appearance tomorrow night inside the Cajun Dome for senior night for the men's basketball game against the Marshall Thundering Herd. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. Russell, you know, you used to do a lot of really kind of nice stuff that made the fans laugh, both young and old. The eavesdropping on opposing teams' huddles or – you know, messing with a game official. When you eavesdrop on some of those teams, obviously you're a mascot, so it's supposed to be taken in tongue-in-cheek. Did an opposing coach or opposing player ever kind of get sideways with you being so close to the huddle during a game? Oh, many times. Uh, There was a routine where I uh, had a popcorn box where I took a microphone out. You would not believe how many times people came over and put their hands over the microphone like I was actually listening in and could hear what they uh, were talking about. Uh, there was, you know, with the, you know, some reactions I've gotten from the other team. One of the greatest was uh, I was doing a basketball game. The opposing team uh, was losing very bad. It was the final timeout, and I did the Grim Reaper. I came walking up to the huddle. Uh, I'm standing there, not moving. One of the young kids, uh, basketball players, turned around, looked at the Grim Reaper, immediately let out a blood-curdling yell, cleared the bench, and was about 17 rows up into the stands. At that point, the coach just goes ballistic, 
screaming. The officials come and grab me, pull me off the court. They were laughing the whole time, just going, okay, that's it. You're done for the night. And I found out the next day that this uh, young man believed in voodoo, and that's why he reacted the way he did. Oh, man, I love I love that. You, you know, I know you've said it before. You've been interviewed over the years. You know, the, the biggest joy that you got was seeing the reaction on the kids' faces. And, Russell, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. You know, oh, yeah. I, I grew up in an era with mascots and being an integral part of sporting events. And I do feel like mm-hmm. a lot of colleges have kind of veered away from that in recent years for whatever reason. Like, it's just not a priority or they – it's not on the top of their list of how to entertain the little ones. But when there's a mascot at a game, it helps the parents out because it entertains the kids that may lose interest in the game of below because, you know, because they're a kid. You did something that, you know, was integral in the entertainment factor going on at a basketball game. How rewarding was that? And how rewarding was it when you got to see a kid smile? Oh, that's why I do it. I always tell everybody, God gave me a very unusual talent that uh, I'm a, I can make a costume come to life in a way that a lot of people are not able to. And that is why I love doing it for the kids, especially the special children, um, helping them just, just have a big grin on their face. When Terry Don Phillips and Mike Waters asked me to develop a character, they said, look, you are not a cheerleader. We've got cheerleaders. You are here to entertain all the people that come with their parents, their spouses, their dates. We want them to have something that they can enjoy also. And that's where the true entertainment side of it came in. And I think nowadays you've just got everybody sitting in the stands with their cell phones on Facebook or something if they're not watching the game. What can fans expect to see tomorrow night when you're there and uh, performing all your beloved shenanigans? Uh, we're, well, what we've got scheduled are a lot of the old favorites. We've got the Witch Doctor and Michael and Elvis and Grim Reaper uh, and a few more that I'm trying to finalize. I've got a few other things that I want to try and get done. It's just a matter of assembling all the parts. Uh, I think I've got everything now, but uh, those are the ones you're definitely going to see. Uh, we'll be back up in the stands like I always were, just uh, messing with the people, enjoying the, enjoying the crowds, and trying to get people excited about Raging Cajun basketball. This team this year, if you have not been to a game, you need to be at this game because this, this is a special team. We hadn't had one like this in a while, and they are just exciting to watch. Anybody who was at the game last weekend against Georgia Southern, I think it was Georgia Southern, when they came back that second half, that's when you knew this is one heck of a ball club. Brother, appreciate your time. I do have one request, if you don't mind. I know Dan McDonald's going to be on the call for the ESPN Plus broadcast, our mutual friend, uh, one of the best guys mm-hmm. in the business. Is there any way that we can somehow incorporate Dan into something that you do during – the game tomorrow night. I know that's a lot to ask at the last minute, but I mean, uh, is that something we can make happen? Oh, the the little wheels in my head are working now on that. <laughs> We're going to have to see what I can do. Uh, I bet. I bet we, you, we may have to just show up right in the middle of their broadcast. And you know, he's a pro's pro, and he would just take it and just roll with it, right? 
right along oh, with it, brother. He's such a great guy, man. I, I just thank the world of him. Russell, appreciate you making the time for this, brother. This is getting yeah. great. Can't wait to see you tomorrow night at the Cajun Dome, my friend. Thank you so much, yeah, and enjoy every, enjoy being yeah, out there again. Come out, man. It's, they have special ticket pricing for tomorrow night. You can get some really great seats. They've reduced you know, the cost. A great basketball team. It's senior night. Please come out and show these guys some love because they've worked very hard this year. Well said, brother. Well said. Thank you, bud. Thank you so much. We'll see you all tomorrow night. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The McNeese men's basketball team, unfortunately, continues to be on the struggle bus, as we like to say. Last night, they led by as many as eight in the game against Lamar Cardinals, a team that is down in the standings with them. Once again, the Southland Conference Tournament only takes the top eight teams. That's it. Now, the tournament's going to be held at the Legacy Center, which is a huge deal for the Lake Charles community and for McNeese to be able to generate revenue off the tournament, right? All these teams are going to be coming in, the hotel revenue, eating at restaurants. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal that Heath Schroyer, the athletic director, was able to pull this off. But you got to have the home team, right, be in the tournament. And right now, McNeese remains firmly planted in the bottom of the standings at 10, which means if the conference tournament began today, the McNeese Cowboys are not part of it. They led by as many as eight against Lamar last night. A team they've already defeated not once but twice this year. And then they found themselves trailing 68-63 with 13 seconds left to go. Eighth straight loss for the Cowboys as they fell 70-63 to to Lamar. And where do you go from here if you're John Aiken? You had two opportunities this week, this past week, to win games against other teams that are struggling just like you are at the bottom of the standings. So it's it's going to be a battle royale, if you will, an old-fashioned royal rumble between McNeese, Lamar, Incarnate Word to see who's going to try to get in to the conference tournament and who is going to be left out. Because two of them are going to be left out. Lamar was one of those teams. They win last night. They improved to 7-16 and 16 overall. That's not good. But that's better than McNeese, who's now 5-18. and 18. And for the Cowboys, they have to go play at Texas A&M Commerce, who's pretty good on Saturday. They have to then host next Thursday the best team in the Southland Conference, the Southeastern Lions. 
there's going to be fewer and fewer opportunities to be able to get these wins to try to play yourself into the conference tournament. You at least have to make the conference tournament. And right now, Manise is nowhere to be found. 5-18 and 18 overall, 2-8 and eight in conference play. They seemingly peaked on Joe Dumar's day when they beat Northwestern State. But it's been L, 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 L ever since. And they lost to Incarnate Word last Thursday. They lost to Lamar last night. Up next, Texas A&M Commerce, Southeastern. They'll get another shot at Incarnate Word on February 16th. That's going to be a critical game for them. And they still have two games against UNO, who is struggling as well. They're down in the standings as well. And they have one more game against Houston Christian. But they still got to play Southeastern twice. And now they're losing to teams that they need to beat, like Incarnate Word, like Lamar. They've already beaten to Lamar twice, and they lost to him. This starts steamrolling on you. Then it becomes a mental thing. Because the problem that we're noticing with this team this season is that they lead ball games in the final 10 minutes of the game, and they don't close them out. For whatever reason, whether it's game plans, whether it's foul trouble, whether it's execution, whether it's nerves, whether it's that they're just not built mentally to handle the pressure of closing out games, whatever it is, the Meanese Cowboys do not close out games. And that's why they're in the position they are. They should have won at least half of their conference games. At least half. But they didn't. And you look at their schedule, you know twice, Incarnate Word still, Houston Christian still. So they'll still have some opportunities to try to play their way in to the Southland Conference men's basketball tournament, which of course is going to be held right there inside the Legacy Center at Lake Charles. Now you look at the standings, the most recent standings after last, night, last night's games. And you look at it, and you go, yes, there's still winnable games, allegedly winnable games, let's say coin flip games for McNeese with UNO and Incarnate Word. And UNO is struggling as well. They've now lost six in a row, UNO has. They're now the ninth worst team in the conference. So that actually bodes well for McNeese because the team that is fading along with them, they get to play twice. So that's going to give them an opportunity. But Lamar, with last night's win, they jump up to the eighth spot. So you look at those final five teams in the rankings, the bottom five, if you will, in the Southland. Incarnate Word, four and six in conference play, 10 and 13 overall. Houston Christian University, formerly Houston Baptist. The football team is the fighting CBSs because they play with a CBS connected to their stadium. They're four and six, seven and 16 overall. Then it's Lamar at three and seven. 7-16 and 16 overall. They're currently in 8th spot. Then it's UNO, 3-7, and 6-15. And, and then McNeese, 2-8 and eight in conference play, 5-18. and 18. So they still got a game against Incarnate Word. They still got a game against Houston Christian. They still got two games against UNO. So they'll still have an opportunity here to turn it around and to qualify for the conference tournament. But time is running out. There's no other way to say it. Time is running out for the McNeese Cowboys. We got to take a timeout. When we return, 
We're going to talk Saints trading Sean Payton, the shakeups to the coaching staff, and who's been the big standouts at the Senior Bowl over in Mobile with Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. He joins us next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast joins us here as we close out the week on RP3 and company. Was going to be hanging out with Ross and lovely Mobile for the Senior Bowl, but I had to stay at home for this week and this weekend. So we had to grab him on the phone instead. Brother, how is my hometown treating you? Oh, wonderful as always. Wonderful as always. Always a pleasure to be here. It's a lot better when you're around. But, you know, we, I found a way to live this week. It'll be all right. It'll be <laughs> you all right. found a way to live this week. Let's <laughs> do you. Hey, all right, let's start off with the Saints talk, shall we? Because Sean Payne trade, I, I thought it was a good trade for the Saints. It's not as if they had a ton of options. I know everyone was hoping for a John Gruden type of haul, but that was the anomaly. Uh, Bill Belichick was traded, and uh, they didn't get two first, and Bill Parcells was traded back in the day, and that wasn't two first either. Um, what did you make of the deal Mickey Loomis was able to pull off sending Sean Payton to Denver? Yeah, look, I think the Saints did an excellent job there because really the the closest comparison to the Sean Payton trade is really the Bruce Arians trade. Bruce Arians retired from the Arizona Cardinals and then you know, later on uh, ended up coming out of retirement to go back to to get back to coaching. Did so with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers sent like a late day three pick uh, to get him in that case because he had been removed from the game of football, didn't have a job. It's not like a situation where they were prying him away from a position that he was currently holding or anything like that. Arizona by then had already moved on to Cliff Kingsbury. We know how all that went. But for Tampa, it, they didn't have to give up much to get him because he wasn't he was effectively on the open market. That's effectively the same thing that happened with Sean Payton. Sean Payton was on the open market. He didn't have a job. Yes, he was technically under contract with the New Orleans Saints, but he wasn't going to be a part of their future ever again. And so for the Saints to turn around and get a first-round pick for that and also advance next year's third-round pick into a second-round pick, recouping something that they had then lost in the uh, Philadelphia Eagles trade last year, that's a really good spot for them to be. So the fact that they were able to flip those types of assets and walk away with a first-round pick, that's a win for the New Orleans Saints who don't have anything to prove now Denver has everything to prove about whether or not it was worth giving up all of that to get Sean Payton there which to be clear I very much think he is uh but will they win a Super Bowl is that the goal yes always right so they have a much taller uh kind of hill to climb than the New Orleans Saints do here in trying to just grab a you know uh, formidable starter uh with a 29th overall pick this year they got a first-rounder now. They got a second-rounder next year, which is just as valuable, in my opinion, especially with what the Saints do with their top right. 50 picks, right? Typically, mm-hmm. they, they're very smart with that. So what do you think the direction is for Mickey and company? He loves trading up now. He loves <laughs> trading up. So do you think he trades up like normal, or do you think he maybe stays pat and says, hey, you know, we got needs at D-line, O-line, running back, mm-hmm. wide receiver. Maybe we just sit pat and see what the best player available is for both the first round and the second. 
Yeah, I think it can, it's going to depend on two things, but both of them are quarterback related. The first of which is, do they get a formidable starter, somebody that they're pleased with and ready to go into 2023 with for 17 games as a starter through free agency or the trade market? Because if they trade that first round pick in order to bring in that guy, let's say they really like a Derek Carr, for instance, and they have to give up a first in order to get him, which might not be the case because he already said goodbye to uh, all of the Oakland and Las Vegas fans doing that before Anthony Davis said thank you to New Orleans, by the way. But he took the time to say goodbye there, which effectively already lets everybody know, okay, well, he's out, right? And so that drops his value. So the Saints could invest some form of picks to get a guy like Derek Carr in the building. If they do that, then pick 29 doesn't really have to go anywhere. They can sit, they can stay in pat, they can grab best player available, unless there's somebody that they really, really like and want to trade up for. The second scenario is that they don't get a guy that they're really comfortable with as their starter for multiple years, or at least for 2023 uh, in free agency or through the trade market. And then a quarterback falls out of the top 10. If a quarterback that they really like falls out of the top 10, then trading up makes a lot of sense. The, the um, <clears throat> Kansas city chiefs moved from 25, 27, somewhere in that range to 10 in order to grab Patrick Mahomes. The saints could make a similar leap if they needed to, if there's a quarterback that they like that falls out of those top 10 selections. So those are the two things that you're watching. It's all going to sort of stem from the quarterback position as far as I'm concerned, but uh, we'll see, um, you know, they, they could also stand pat and grab a guy like Hendon hooker. If they like him enough and the medicals are all checking out the way that they, they look to be, they could grab him at 29 potentially just to get the fifth year option on him and then be able to, you know, be very, happy with that and continue to maximize the rest of their trade value at other positions i'm glad you went to hendon hooker because mm -hmm. i think he's a, a gutty player i think he's a leader I, I think he has great potential and everyone is kind of falling in love with him becoming the next quarterback for the new Orleans saints even though they've never drafted a quarterback in the first two rounds only once has that ever happened that was archie manning right but when i watch hooker play and he had a great half of his last season and then obviously was great this past year, should have been a Heisman finalist. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see a guy that goes through a lot of reads, Ross, and, and that's mm -hmm. usually the biggest hurdle for college quarterbacks because they're in a system where they don't have to go through their progression of reads. They can just hit their number one man, in that case would be Hyatt, or their number two guy, and then you know that's how it works. Any trepidation whatsoever about Hendon Hooker and his ability to be able to read NFL defenses because we didn't see him really go through read progressions all that much under Josh Heupel? Yeah, um, no, not for me. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest reason is that just about every quarterback that comes into the NFL these days has to learn how to read through their progressions. So it's not a unique issue. It's something that if they drafted Anthony Richardson, they'd have to address. If they drafted Will Levis, they'd have to address. If they draft, you know, unless they're getting uh, C.J. Stroud, they're not they're going to have to address that with just about any quarterback that they go out and select right even okay. a jaron hall out of byu who's a great passer and is actually a really good reader uh, of the field they would still need to work through his pocket awareness as well as his read timeliness can he get through his progressions quicker even though he can get through them one side of the field to the other so no matter what that's something that you're at least fine-tuning and at the you know uh, very best scenario you're just fine-tuning that right and so in no matter what you're addressing it in some way so i don't think that it's that big of a deal i also think that that hypo system was based a lot on wide receiver options which are already very prevalent in the new orleans saints offensive approach or have been and so i 
I think there are also hints of his system that you would be able to install in New Orleans pretty easily. In fact, some of it's already there. You think about the Alvin Kamara option routes. You think about the you know Mark, uh, Marcus Colson being able to choose his route based on the leverage of the receiver. Michael Thomas did the same thing to believe that Chris Olave couldn't do that. I don't know that I don't think that that's true. So I think that they would be able to get that done with guys like Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid and not necessarily build the offense around, you know, wide receiver options as a cornerstone, but in comfortable situations between the 20s, they could deploy that and they could utilize that. The thing that I love, you know, about Hendon Hooker is that he's a mature player. Um, he's one of the best pre-snap quarterbacks in in this year's draft, and he's a spot thrower. And we know that being a spot thrower is one of those things that makes the New Orleans Saints offense run. And this offense is, you know, kind of telling us right now that they're wanting to be who they know they are. And so all of those usual principles are ones that would still be available to this team in 2023 and would fit pretty well with Hendon Hooker's skill set. But you still need a bridge quarterback because he's coming off the injury, and I don't know if I would trust throwing a rookie out there with Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen in year one. And I don't think you do him a lot of favors by doing that either. So if you think they're in the the market to get a quarterback and maybe draft one like Hendon Hooker, who's going to be the bridge guy? Yeah, I think at that point, you've probably struck out on guys like Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, stuff like that. Those guys that are going to be, you know, kind of the higher uh, priority free agents. Um, you know, look, technically, Lamar Jackson's a free agent until he isn't, right? We expect that he's going to be franchise tagged over in Baltimore or that he's going to get a deal done over in Baltimore. But until he isn't available, he is available. So I'll, I'll mention his name as well, but with a you know very, very slim possibility there. And so, you know, once those top level free agents are gone, basically every person that you would invest in after that is that bridge quarterback. It's bringing back Andy Dalton on a one-year deal. It's bringing Teddy Bridgewater back to New Orleans as a reunion, somebody that you know can manage your game and run your system, all of that. So there's all of these other kind of possibilities that are out there. And, you know, look, they could go for the 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 Baker Mayfields of the world. Oh. They could, you know, go for the Sam Darnolds of the world, but I don't think that they should. <laughs> Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Uh, and so there are, you know, you have some slim options in terms of guys that you can bring in as a starter. And then after that, you're going for those bridge quarterbacks anyway. And so it just sort of helps you in terms of being prepared if you do uh, then go into the draft and follow up there. Let's talk about where you're at. That's the senior bowl. And some Saints coaches are there helping out as assistants and everything like that. One of them has been mentioned as a possible uh, yet another departure, and that's Curry. Uh, what do you think uh, they do there? Do you think he leaves? And what do you think they're going to do at defensive coordinator? Yeah, well, it would be a darkest timeline situation if you've got Ryan Nielsen headed to Atlanta. You now have the potential of Chris Richard heading to Carolina and then now the potential of Ronald Curry heading to Tampa. And so losing three very important members of your staff within the division to coordinator roles uh, wouldn't be the greatest situation for the, not, for the New Orleans Saints. Not optimal, Ross. That's not, not optimal. optimal. By the way. Yes, 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 yes. That would be very not good. And so, <laughs> when I, so you know, you hopefully are able to find a way to um, – to you know keep that from from being the case ronald curry loves it in new orleans he had some he told us here at the senior bowl that he had interviews last year too and didn't go anywhere and so you know this may 
this may not come to be anything this year, but this is the trajectory that they've set up for Ronald Curry. This has always been what they knew he was going to be. They started him off as a guy working with the wide receivers, brought him up to quarterback coach, gave him the passing game coordinator uh, spot. So everything about him has been set for him to eventually become an offensive coordinator. And certainly the New Orleans Saints would like that to happen within their organization as opposed to outside of it. So, you know, that's that's you're hoping to hold on to Ronald Curry for maybe another year. And then hopefully he gets, you know, that sort of offensive coordinator opportunity after that. Um, when it comes to defensive coordinator, it's going to be really interesting because Look, Dennis Allen doesn't have to go out there and make a home run higher at D.C. He is the home run on the defensive side, right? He's the guy that calls the plays and installs a system that has been so successful uh, leading that side of the ball. It's the thing that makes Dennis Allen, uh, you know, it's the thing that has made Dennis Allen. And so... I think when you look at some of the options that are out there, and you know the Saints are going to meet with Joe Woods, the former Cleveland Browns uh, uh, defense, uh, defensive uh, coordinator. He's put together some really solid seasons as either DC or as one of the, um, the the defensive coordinators, like the pass game defensive coordinator or the run game defensive coordinator. He's put together some really really good systems there, particularly uh, doing some good work in the run game. The issue has been when he has been a full time DC and you know play calling and personnel choices and things like that. Those are decisions that he wouldn't make. It would make game time decisions he would install teach and uh develop players and that's something that joe woods has shown that he can do before my personal favorite though would be steve wilkes from uh formerly of the carolina panthers the guy deserves to be a head coach this would be an easy Ooh, very yeah. very you know not so risky way of spending your 2023 before getting back into the the head coaching search with steve wilkes because if he shows up in new orleans you know doesn't perform up to task on defense he gets to say well da called the plays that wasn't me you know what i mean and and so he keeps his name in the coaching search and he does it in a really low risk way and he's an absolute you know he's one of the top minds when it comes to the defensive side and so pairing him up with young coaches and then giving him an opportunity to continue to develop players as he's done throughout his entire career while also giving him a chance to stay safe in those head coaching searches uh going into 2024 after a year of being a DC where you're not the one calling the plays, I think that's a good fit for a Steve Wilkes, and it gives you a little bit of uh, insight on a division opponent as well. All right, bud, only got about a minute or so left, but give me some of the kids, kids rather, young men <laughs> that have stood out to you uh, during Senior Bowl practices this week, and obviously the young man from Tulane has turned a quite a few heads. Yeah, that's the that's a big name right now out here in Mobile is Tajay Spears, the Tulane running back. I watched him, uh, you know, almost get arrested for stealing a man's ankles at one point. It's a video that I posted on Twitter to where he just demolished a pit linebacker in one on ones, but still a lot of fun to watch. He's also had some big runs in team. I mean, you see the explosiveness, you see him excelling in pass protection, you see him excelling in the in the pass catching game as well. He is somebody that is uh, really helping out you know, the attention that he's getting already kind of projected as a day two guy. So he's in a really, really good spot coming out here and performing with all these scouts present. Uh, a couple of other guys that have stood out, SMU wide receiver Rashi Rice continues to make catch after catch after catch. Uh, he was uh, outstanding in one-on-ones as well. He's somebody that would also be a good option for the New Orleans Saints who are looking for a contested catch guy. So if they decide to go to the draft for that, Rashi Rice out of SMU is a good name to know. Uh, and then, you know, I'll mention Cody Mock, the offensive lineman from North Dakota State University. There's always some NDSU guy out here balling out, and he's the one this time around. They've moved him all around the offensive line but he's going to play on the interior at the next level and the saints should be looking for that particularly at left guard with uh andrews pete's injury history and injury status even as at present as well as his contract situation and so he's a young interior offensive lineman to keep an eye out on as well ross appreciate 
your time. Keep up the great work with the Locked On Saints podcast and everything else, brother. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy the Senior Bowl game. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much. Appreciate the support and everything, and I'll talk to you here soon. Take care and stay safe. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Lafayette Marble Granite offers the largest selection of granite quartz and marble here in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. And as you've heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new line of grout-free showers. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and great products they have to offer. Or you can just stop by their showroom right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. I want to take a moment to thank our guests for helping us close out this week. Dawson's first full week at the helm as the producer, man in the ones and twos. Nice job this week, by the way. Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser, Russell Heim, the Fabulous Cajun Chicken, and Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. Our poll question of the day was all about what should Dawson's nickname be. 14% of you, final results. 14% say D-Nice. 19% said Iceman. 29% said Saucy Dawsey. But winning the vote is D-Low with 38% of the vote. We're going to make a slight change to that because it is a play on his name. L-O-H obviously is, you know, part of his last name. D is his first initial of his first name. We're going to possibly change it to D hyphen L-E-A-U-X since we're in South Louisiana. Just saying. So there we go. Dawson, you got a nickname, and it's not, not terrible. So there you go, bud. You're welcome. Appreciate that. <laughs> that's going to do it for us. Uh, but until Monday, that's when we're back on 6 to 9. Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. Deb's constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating kept giving her grief. 